Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz. My guest today is Albert Stepayan, the former CTO of Allianz X, Allianz Bank's startup incubator and corporate venture capital arm. Albert is the current CEO and founder of the startup accelerator Devlindu. Albert is a technical advisor for startups all over the world, from Eastern Europe to the U.S. to Mexico City, and is passionate about bringing artificial intelligence and machine learning into the mainstream. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Snapchat at Ann Burke for behind-the-scenes footage from each episode and to see Snapchat takeovers from entrepreneurs and VCs all around the world. And now that's enough for me. Here's my interview with Albert Stepayan, the founder and CEO of Devlindu. Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide. From Sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond, here on the Global Startup Movement. Now, here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. Albert, I would love for you to start us off with the story of Devlindu and how it got started. Sure. Devlindu was founded in 2014. There were three co-founders with me, two for German actually, and we started Develando because we had a lot of history with working uh, in big enterprises and also big corporates. Recently, we switched to working with the company builders and uh, incubators all over the world. Seeing the problems of the early stage startups and the entrepreneurs that join, I mean, they have a great idea. These guys are passionate about what they're doing, but they have no experience in digital businesses. And obviously, they were looking for tech co-founders, and they even had even harder times fi- finding good teams, especially in Europe. So we decided, okay, we ourselves being technical co-founders in many companies really don't like working with agencies because the prices are not so competitive. You never get intellectual property in-house and you really doubt about the quality of the software that's being delivered to you. Yeah, And the more the agency is known, the more the prices are up and you never know what happens in between. Yeah, Usually they outsource to Russia or other countries and you never get to meet the team. So we decided to fix that problem and said, why not to create a software accelerator, which will basically help early-stage startups, which are in seed, to summon their own technical team, coach and mentor them for the six months' time until they have the MVP delivered, and then provide them an option to actually keep the team in-house. And how we do that? We decided to go with two options. Some companies raise around A, so they have sufficient funding to do the buyout option of the team, so they can pay some percentage of the annual fee of the team, and completely get the team on their payroll. The second option is we do investments ourselves. So we can take equity in exchange of providing the full team and keeping it as their intellectual property. And it works really good. That's a new model. Nobody else provides it. We had a lot of interesting discussions with um, other agencies and software engineering companies. And they said that you guys are doing a unique job because you basically help companies to um, build their own teams and uh, without any strings attached. But some agencies don't like it because we're actually doing direct competition and don't let them get get access to the startups because our option is much more beneficial for the companies. But for the startups, it's very good because when it comes to the case when they have to raise round A and they go to the investors or the VCs, VCs don't want to invest into teams that work with agencies. They want to invest into the whole team that's in-house and that's what we provide them. Do you focus on any specific startup verticals or is it, I mean, any company who's qualified can get in? We basically try to concentrate into startups that are operating in the areas of cybersecurity, artificial intelligence and machine learning. But if we see some really unique startup which we can help, we definitely do it. 
So how did you originally make your way into the artificial intelligence and machine learning space? Uh, okay, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting story. So I'm a big fan of AI, machine learning, and data science. And as I taught last week in Berlin, it was uh, the New Relics Summit in Berlin. I was a speaker there, and I said I'm a data freak. So I, I love everything about data, and I like to control the data because I feel that data opens a lot of possibilities, and that's the future. I started evangelizing the artificial intelligence uh, movement in Germany, and especially in south of Germany, in Bavaria, which is full of big corporates. And I feel that the innovation in that space is still missing. We are right people that can bring it. So we decided to invest also into our own startups, which are related to artificial intelligence uh, in the early stage. So that's, that's, uh, that's something, it's our patience. So it's not the only job for us. Right. And so do you think that we're experiencing currently an AI bubble where the market is a little bit overexcited on the current capabilities of AI? Uh, that's a very good question, actually. So I wouldn't call it bubble, but let's say every year we participate at the web summit, right? At the beginning, we were alpha, then we got beta, then now we're an established company. And we see about uh, more than 5,000 startups every year, which are closely related to the hyped topics of that year. So three years ago, it was VR, augmented reality. Two years ago, it was big data. Now it's artificial intelligence. So I Definitely like that many startups want to go through that field, but I feel the lack of the experience and also the lack of knowledge in that field. So in that case, I would say, yeah, uh, most of the, more than 80% of the startups really just have a patient, but they don't have the sufficient skills. In that sense, you can call it the bubble, but it's definitely, uh, even if 20% of the startups succeed somehow, that definitely will bring a lot of innovation to the space. So what areas specifically do you see the market overestimating AI's capabilities? Um, that's something I was researching and doing a benchmark. So most of the companies want to go into artificial intelligence space, but what they're basically doing for the old school engineers is they're uh, just playing with the data, yeah? And data it's not, uh, playing with data is not yet artificial intelligence. That's statistics, that's machine learning, that's analytics. But if you want to do artificial intelligence, you need first to have a real problem which you want to solve, yeah? Maybe you want to do some predictive analytics. Maybe you want to predict the cyber threat of the company or provide the right diagnosis of the medical status of the patient. But if you want to just do analytics of the data, that's not still called artificial intelligence. So I would like that the startups really understand uh, what problem they're solving and solve the real problems uh, instead of just going into that space. So focusing in on Devlin Do Labs, what does the accelerator program consist of and what are the primary value adds of going through the program in Munich? So the Velando Labs was created last year, so we decided that we are generating sufficient revenue and funds and we have the know-how how to create our own companies and decided to start investing into companies which are closely related to data science and artificial intelligence. So um, we started because we operate in uh, Western and Eastern Europe mostly. We have offices in uh, Americas as well, but uh, purely for the Develando business. But for the startups, we uh, scout uh, young and motivated entrepreneurs in uh, Eastern and Western Europe. We uh, try to uh, coach them and mentor them for the um, first 20 days in order to do the solution validation and help them create a prototype. And in case we see there is a product market fit and uh, there is a potential that they will be paying customers, we start summoning the team around them. So, for example, there is a company called Atopos. There is a young entrepreneur from Eastern Europe and uh, actually it's a she because we believe in diversity and entrepreneurship and we want more women coming into the dream. So she had a good idea about creating a predictive marketing platform for SMEs. Currently, there are only platforms that are quite expressive and they work with enterprises. 
So she, being part of the marketing agency and being related to artificial intelligence, wanted something to help for the small companies because uh, nowadays there is no solution for that. And she applied to us. We created the first prototype. The prototype worked really good. We launched a small marketing campaign where we had a high uh, user conversion rate. Then we decided to invest into it. So we summoned a team of uh, six people, from which two are very experienced data scientists. And with the help of of our investors and uh, our internal investment funds, we are now moving towards the MVP delivery. So she now has a team, she now has incorporated, and that top is generating a lot of traction. So the next stage will be that we also, within the Velando Labs, will help to reach potential VCs that work with us. And this is not the only case. We now work with another startup, which is called SciShore. And SciShore is helping underwriting departments in big insurance companies like Allianz or Munich Re or Ergo Versicherung to understand the maturity of the company in the cyberspace and to predict the possibility that the company will be a victim of attack. And that helps uh, underwriting departments to adjust the annual premium package sold to the customers on the cyber insurance field. That's two the cases we have now. Got it. And so the more successful entrepreneurs that go through your program, where do you find that they typically choose to locate after graduating? You know, you have offices in Mexico City, U.S., Western Europe, Eastern Europe. I and mean, where do you see them drifting towards after the program? Typically, most of the entrepreneurs in Eastern Europe want to move to Berlin cost-wise because Berlin is quite affordable for young entrepreneurs and it's also very flexible. Some of the people are definitely looking to establish office spaces in California, in LA, that's where we operate in. And for us, it's a very attractive market, Mexico City. We're establishing our operations there and we have already customers there and partners. And some people already start thinking about moving to Mexico City. And also there's a huge booming space of young entrepreneurs in Mexico as well. So I think we we won't have any lack of uh, potential entrepreneurs. That's interesting. Why do you think that Berlin is more attractive for them as opposed to Munich? Berlin is very hyped for young people. In Munich scene, I personally love Munich more because I feel more potential businesses going there and more experienced people there. But Berlin is hyped and Berlin is uh, quite international. It's very attractive for young people moving there. So that depends really on the target audience of the entrepreneurs. Interesting. So I guess what was the thinking in locating Devil and Do in Munich as opposed to Berlin? Uh, because our first was we, that we work with the company builders and company builders are usually working on the big enterprises and big enterprises are mostly concentrated in Munich. At least it was uh, like that during the last years. So now more and more big companies move towards Berlin, but I don't feel that it's as fast as, as it's growing in Munich. And so what would you say are the current, I guess, weaknesses or obstacles that's sort of holding Munich back from being on, on the same level as a, you know, London or Berlin or, or Paris type startup scene? Uh, honestly, the only thing that's moving any German company back is the legislation. Doing business in Germany is tough. So I like the country a lot and I like the direction it's moving, but the bureaucracy and legislation is really, really tough. It was also tough for me as being a person from another country and moving to Germany to establish operations there and start dealing with all the legal and the tax system. I'd be curious to hear about the differences that you see in entrepreneurs coming into your program from Eastern Europe versus Western Europe. Is there a difference in technical competency or, or business acumen? Uh, well, that's one of my favorite questions, actually. So, yeah, there's a huge difference. And what I feel myself, that the guys are coming from the uh, Western background, 
They have a good clue about business, but they are not ready to get everything done to get to that business. Yeah, They don't want to sacrifice their personal life. They don't want to sacrifice their work-life balance. And they kind of are already used to this VC investment life. Like They know the stages and they know how much to spend and they know that they have to create a good office. They have to have good workstation. So I feel this old Silicon Valley style, yeah, let's do it in a garage uh, business. But I feel in Eastern Europe that people are not so acquainted with how the business is done in the Western Europe. So they don't know the investment rounds. They don't know how to apply. They sometimes don't know how to pitch good, but they are ready to do everything to get it done. And they um, overall have very good ideas and they, they can work 24 hours, four hours a day. So do you think that's just uh, differences in, in culture? I think it's first the result of differences in culture. And second of all, I feel that um, in Western Europe, there is much more opportunities because there are a lot of startup hubs that are booming. So entrepreneurs think, okay, if, if not these investors, then another one. If not, if not this program, then maybe another one. I have a good idea and it's cool being entrepreneur, yeah? Which is, was not the case in Berlin like five or six years ago because five or six years ago, the only chance that the guys could earn their food is either working full-time or becoming an entrepreneur, yeah? And in Eastern Europe, it's still the case because for them, sometimes it's the only chance to get a success in this life. So do you typically see entrepreneurs migrating from Eastern Europe to the West in order to start their company? Two years ago, the only way to get investment or to move forward was to relocate to Germany, uh, Netherlands, Paris, or some other Western European country, or even to US. Now we feel a lot of startup rise and ecosystem rise in Warsaw, in Poland. It's actually very good. And I feel that uh, with this tempo, maybe they also bypass Berlin in some years. I see a huge demand in Estonia, Tallinn. It's going really good. The Baltic states are in transformation, like uh, Riga, Lithuania. And uh, yeah, overall, that's that's moving. I feel that's moving. Bulgarian startups are very active. I see a lot of activity in Romania because we had some operations in Romania some time ago, and it's also going there. So, so far, it's moving. I feel it will take time, and let's see what happens there. I completely agree. I did a uh, collaboration last year with Slush, the conference in Helsinki, and did a lot of interviews just in, in the Nordics, in Estonia. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in Estonia. And I think, you know, what I've seen over the past year or two in that area is just the, the filling of the void of the Series A, Series B rounds, uh, where entrepreneurs can raise those rounds in those area. Um, and I know you spent some time as the CTO for Allied's uh, Accelerator. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on what you think the future holds in Europe for the world of corporate venture capital. Do you think that we're going to see an expansion of this capital source or do you think companies are going to start to pull back? Well, actually, that's a very good question. It's a question from my heart. Atlantics was doing good, and there were a lot of successful company builders in Germany as well. And they actually invested in many interesting startups, which are already in round A. The bad thing is that with the Rocket Internet not showing so much promise, because Rocket Internet with Team Europe were one of the first ones in Germany, many company builders uh, that are under enterprises are feeling threatened now, because at the end of the day, they are managed by in a standard and conservative way. And we know that incorporates most of the people are very good in risk management. So they don't want to repeat the example of Rocket Internet. And that's actually a, a bit slowing down the investment rounds for the new startups. So, but it's like, it's the development within the last six months yet time, right? When Rocket Internet announced about the financing rounds. Do you see that pullback just happening in Germany or is this something that you see happening across all of Europe? For now, it's Germany because Germany was one of the first ones. I mean, French startups. So Germany was one of the pioneers in that movement. And I see a bit pullback in Germany right now. Got it. That makes sense. 
So I'd love to hear really more about the Munich scene. I mean, we've we've had Berlin, we've had a lot of scenes across Europe featured, but I guess what, in your opinion, does the next five years look like in the Munich scene, and how how can it come to the the world stage as a as a top ten ecosystem? Munich is one of the most attractive markets for the businesses. It's, it concentrates a huge amount of the large enterprises, which have billions of assets under their under control, and we see a rise of innovation labs. So yeah, BMW, we see. Insurance companies like Munich, they have a perfect innovation lab, which is called the lab, and I'm in discussions with them. We see a lot of enterprises in the healthcare area, in the mobility area that are raising, and I think there is so much potential uh, uncovered in Munich. Just the thing is that the tech scene is not so active, so we're trying to evangelize the meetups, doing a lot of conventions, and just to bring people together, yeah, because it's coming from more conservative uh, German corporates. So and I think that there should be a bit of disruption, but so far it's going good. And so what about the the sources of capital relative to Berlin? I mean, is, is there the same presence of institutional funds and, and angel investors that you, you would find in Berlin? Or is it a little bit, uh, is, it, is it still building out that initial infrastructure of that? Uh, we should differentiate. So with the angel investors, Berlin is much more active. In Munich, it's still growing. So I have one of the, I'm part of this angel investment group and I'm in very good discussions with the angel investors and we have like monthly meetups and we present the new topics and, and so on and so forth. And regarding the corporate investments, I think Munich is much more active and Berlin is more on VC side. So there are companies like Boston Consulting and uh, other VCs that do have investments into Berlin-based startups. So you, uh, you wrote a very interesting Medium article on the effects of bureaucracy and how that can deter the good engineers from coming to the company. And so how should an engineer go about vetting a company and the, the the bureaucracy of it during the interview process? You know, what questions should they ask to uncover potential signs of, of bureaucracy? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And that article has actually I had a lot of discussions in Munich area and uh, from my friends network and also the companies I worked with, and they were asking questions. Yeah, have you noticed the politics in our organization? So I was kind of a humble, not giving any feedback. But uh, so I think for the engineers, it's very important to understand if there is a culture around the company. And first thing for me, like if I was an engineer, I would understand, okay, are these guys investing in two conferences? Do they organize meetups? Do they sponsor meetups? Do they send people on the educational programs or on the conventions? Are they partnering with any kind of big IT corporation, purely IT corporate? Like, for example, Develando is signing partnerships with many, many corporates and companies in the IT world, like New Relic. Like AWS, we are partners with Docker and so on and so forth. And that's, that's a very good sign that it's an IT. Now, even if the core business is not IT, but it's, uh, for engineering departments, it's IT oriented. So because they can learn new stuff and they have a place to grow. The second one, they need to understand the management structure. If, the, if it's a pure matrix organization, I would definitely avoid dedicating much time of my life there because there doesn't matter how good you are, you'll be always be part of uh, bureaucracy and the politics in the organization. If it's a flat organization, then it's something else. But then to go deeper to understand what kind of uh, practices they implement, what the processes are in the company. So I think interviews should be much more bilateral in this age, not just like going there, sitting and answering technical questions and hoping to get a job. Because one thing you go get a good job with a good salary, which is not very rare now. Another thing is that you enjoy yourself and you dedicate yourself full time because from my experience, those engineers deliver who feel the ownership for the product they do. And that's what makes the company culture great. So, Albert, we always finish off with a quick fire round. Four questions up to 60 seconds each. Sound good? 
Yeah, sure. What CEO do you admire the most right now and why? Steve Jobs is my favorite one. I know many people say that it's a micromanagement, but I love this guy. So this guy was creative and he really understood how the businesses should work. What's your favorite tech blog or newsletter? I like VentureBit and I also am reading TechCrunch. So give us an idea of what it costs to operate a startup in Munich relative to, say, Berlin or Paris. For the proceed round, about 100K. For a seed round, not less than half a million. In terms of like cost of operating, like office space, you know, how much I have to pay my engineer, how much more expensive or cheaper is it in Munich relative to Berlin? Yeah, it's 20% more expensive in Munich, at least. Got it. And so finally, what's your favorite thing about living in Munich? Nature. That's a beautiful city. That's one of the cleanest places I've lived in. And of course, I'm living there for the business purposes as well, because Munich is very attractive for us and we feel that it has a great future. Got it. Well, Albert, thank you for your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Sure, sure. Thanks for hosting me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at andberk. That's A-N-D-B-E-R-K. To see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around the world. 